Today I'm really excited. We are going to be getting into um, one of my favorite books in the Bible that I've ever studied. And it's kind of funny that the, the topic that the, the video was over was about one of the most confusing parts of our life, and that's relationships just in general. And, and one of the things that I'm going to talk about today, kind of as we begin, as Joji mentioned, that our topic for the Hebrew series is it's time to grow up. And when I was thinking about growing up, I, I thought of the phrase from, from Charles Dickens. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. If you think about growing up, it's kind of like that, okay? It was the best of times. You don't have to worry about your meals. Your mom makes all your dinners, cleans your room, picks up everything. It's the worst of times because her mom makes you eat everything that she makes before you can leave the dinner table or have dessert. It's the best of times <clears throat> because you have scheduled naps during the day. How many of us want to go back to those days? Okay, you have scheduled naps during the day. It's the worst of times because we have to go to bed early and miss out on all the cool things that happen after 8 o'clock um, when your parents stay up and play cards or watch TV or whatever time, or unless if you're like me and an adult that goes to bed at 9 o'clock or something like that. Uh, it's the best of times because we're carefree. We have no real responsibilities, right? We get home from school. We can go play with our friends. We can watch our cartoons. We can do whatever we want. It's the worst of times because we have no responsibilities and everybody treats you like a kid, pats you on the head and says, man, you've grown so much since I last saw you, even though they saw you last week. You guys have those experiences. Growing up is just kind of difficult. It is the best of times, but it is also in many ways the worst of times. It's like we don't have a choice if you really think about it. Growing up is just something that happens. And we get pushed through different stages, whether we're ready or not. If you can think about it, those being pushed into junior high school or middle school, one of the worst of times with pimples and awkwardness and all that come with that, we don't really have much of a choice. Or high school, that, that, that place where so much, so much just absolute pandemonium of adolescence goes on with getting your driver's license, going on first dates, getting your first job, just the energy that comes with that, sports. Um, everything starts to happen really fast. All of a sudden, you're 18, you could buy cigarettes, you could fight for your country, and you're all growing up, right? We're considered adults, right? 18. We have everything figured out we need to know. We have all the answers. Just ask an 18-year-old. <laughs> it's the truth of the matter. We all think we have it figured out. But the, the reality is, yeah, right. Okay? Yeah, right. We're not all grown up by that point. So then there's college. Another four years to act like you're a kid. No real responsibility. You just have to show up to class about half awake and turn in assignments that you halfway tried upon, and you'll probably make it through. That's college, but no responsibility. It doesn't really, we don't feel like we're in the real world. You're not paying bills necessarily. Some people do, yes. Granted, I know that there's some people that worked hard, but those four years fly by in an instant, and then all of a sudden when you graduate, they hand you the diploma, you're ready, you're grown up, right? You know what to expect with the world. You're ready to take on those daily responsibilities. Again, yeah, right. Right? We get into our first jobs, maybe working for a salary instead of hourly wage. But then what happens? We start working for the weekends. We start working 
We, Monday becomes like the worst day of the week. Why? Because we have to start the work week in 40, 40 hours a week. Um, <clears throat> we start working for our toys and our vacations. And I th- found it was kind of a funny thing. We begin to wait for the times when we can start acting like a kid again. And those times where we can take naps in the afternoon and play around on our toys. It's this weird cycle. When we're kids, we can't wait to grow up. We play at grown-up jobs and we, and we play like we have grown-up responsibilities. But when we grow up, we want to be like kids again where we had no responsibilities and where we, we play at kids' games all the time. <clears throat> Growing up is hard. It's kind of confusing. We kind of don't know what it looks like, how we get there, what it takes once we're there. It's kind of confusing, to be honest. At least I know that for me it has been very confusing, this process of growing up. I don't think we really know when we are grown up or what, what, what it takes to do that. And this series, the series that we begin in Hebrews, is going to address that issue specifically. Because what I found is that confusion in life, just in general, typically translates into confusion in our own lives, in our relational lives, like we talked about, in our, in our work lives, in our financial lives, but specifically in our emotional and spiritual lives. We get really confused about what it means to be grown up. And so our challenge for this semester is it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature in Christ. And the way that we're going to talk about that is growing up, when we talk about that in a Christian perspective, is knowing Jesus. So when you hear us say it, we're going to say, it's time to grow up knowing Jesus. That's what it means to grow up. We're putting it together in that one statement. So I want you real quick to turn to someone next to to you and tell them what the theme of Hebrews is. Okay, I'm going to remind you one more time. It's time to grow up knowing Jesus. Now turn and tell someone real quick. Okay. All right. I don't want you, (laughs) as you stumble through that, I know, that's okay. I want to just keep that in your mind. I have two purposes this morning, Joji mentioned. I'm giving you an introduction to the whole book of Hebrews, but I'm also going to be going through the first chapter of Hebrews, chapter one through chapter two, verse four. So this is, we want you guys to get a glimpse of where we're going, okay? For the last year and a half, If you have been in this church or for any time, for the last year and a half, we have been talking about mission. We've been talking, a year ago we went through Acts, and in Acts we saw the church on a mission. And we saw the church, just the the amazing, impossible mission that the church went on as things unfolded after Christ had been resurrected and left the Holy Spirit. And we saw the church on a mission. And then this last semester, we went through Joshua and watched God's people on a mission, the people of Israel going into the promised land that God had promised them. So we have been so much mission, 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 okay? Our goal as leaders and as where we felt challenged is that we wanted to begin to challenge you that church is not a place for spectators. Church is not a place where you turn over the ministry of the gospel to people who are professionals. Church is living out the gospel every day in your life, and that's what we have been pushing with mission. You need to understand it is your mission to do what God has called you to do. And we've been pounding that for a year and a half. Today marks a shift. 
We're going from mission, 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 which we want you to keep in mind. We're not going to leave that. We'll come back to it all the time. But we want to go to maturity, maturity, maturity. What does it mean to grow up in Christ? What does it mean to become a mature believer? That is where this, this series in Hebrews is going to. Christianity is about Jesus Christ. And if we're going to mature, it is knowing him more. It is knowing him more on a daily basis in the way we live our life. It is more dedication. It is more trust. It is more following. It is all that comes with knowing Jesus. And that is what we are seeking. We want to go deeper and we want to go farther in our relationships. Jesus is the power to do that. He is the source of that. The mission that we've been talking about, you cannot do without Jesus. And so we felt it very important for us to come back and say, we've been calling you to go on a mission. Now learn your source. Go deeper to the roots so you have the power and the strength to live out that mission we've been talking about. And so I am so excited about where Hebrews is going, that we are going to learn to grow up into who Jesus is, to know him more and knowing Jesus. Now our theme verse, our next, our, our verse for this whole semester, is going to come from Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Now, this is, this is where we got this theme, it's time to grow up. And that, this is what it says. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. There it is. Go on to maturity. That means it's time to grow up. Now, that verse continues on to explain what are the elementary teachings about Jesus Christ. It says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the acts that leads to death. That's elementary. Not, and of faith in God. That is elementary. Instructions about baptism, laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, and the eternal judgment. That's the elementary. We don't need to go back to those. We want to go deeper. And verse 3 is the key to what we're praying. And God permitting, we will do so. That is our prayer as leaders. That we will grow deeper, God permitting, God leading, God guiding, the Holy Spirit convicting us to go deeper in Christ. Now, <clears throat> that is not going to be easy. And you need to be ready for the fact that Hebrews is going to hit you in the face. No matter where you are, no matter if you've just gotten to know Jesus, no matter if you've walked with him for 20 years, none of us have arrived. There is no one in this place that has it all figured out. There is no one in this place that knows it all about Jesus and has all the answers and trusts him completely. We're never there. We're not even close. We've got so much more to go. Okay, there is none of us. There is none of us that can't know him more and continue in this process. <clears throat> and so it's going to be a challenge. Hebrews is going to push us. It is going to pull us. It is going to stretch us in ways we haven't been stretched it's going to make us feel uncomfortable, and it may make you squirm in your pew a little bit. <clears throat> William Barclay said this about, he's a famous Bible commentator, said this, When we come to read the letter to the Hebrews, we come to read for the person of today what is the most difficult book in the entire New Testament. It's the most difficult book in the entire New Testament. I wonder why it is going to be so difficult. What is it about growing up or being told you need to grow up that is so hard? Now, one of the things I began to just think about in just life, just in general, 
when we're young, we have this desire. I talked about it earlier. We have a desire to be grown up, okay? We have that longing to, to grow in maturity. But something I've noticed about people, once we get grown up, and this is something I see in athletes, and I'm going to pick on athletes here. They get to a certain point in their life, and their athletic days are gone, and what do they start talking about? The glory days, right? The glory days. It becomes these moments where all of a sudden we look back to our childhood and we say, man, when I was 18 and I was this, this young athletic stud, then man, what, what a great time in my life. All of a sudden, for some reason, we grow up and then we say, I want to be young again. That was the best time of my life. We like stop. It's like you hit age 30 and everyone says, the, the best times of my life are gone. We have this just in nature, I've got a, I've got a few months, okay, and then the rest of my life is gone. <laughs> but we begin to look at ourselves, and, and we bask in these past successes. We look at our life, and we say, the best is already past. What is with that? What is with that? And that's the same with our Christian lives, and this is where I think it gets tough, in our Christian lives, often we come to that cross and we get down on our knees and we accept salvation and we say, wow, God, you've done so much in my life. But somewhere after that point, whether for what reason, the feelings may be different, the emotions may be different. It may be hard to live the way God is asking you to, but somewhere in that point, we begin to look back and say, man, I really just want to get back to that cross. I want to stay right at the feet. I want to stay like that baby that accepted this very basic message of Christ. We, we say our best moment in Christ is when we are saved. And while that is true, it is a huge moment. It is the smallest decision in your relationship with Christ ever. And so Hebrews is really going to challenge us to say, wait a second, there is so much more to living the Christian life than being saved. I love how James McDonald put this, a pastor we listened to uh, uh, for several years, a guy that I, I respect, he said it this way. He said, do you believe your very best spiritual days are in front of you? Do you believe that the greatest victories in your spiritual life, the greatest miracles, the greatest provisions of God's are yet in your future? That there are mountains that God wants you to climb, personal victories God wants you to experience. That is what Hebrews is calling us to. What do we do standing around like infants around the cross? Christ died not just to save our sorry butts and get us into heaven. Christ died so that we might live in him and carry out his mission and know him more. That is what eternal life is, is knowing Christ, knowing the one true God and the one that he sent, which is Jesus Christ, our savior. That's eternal life, guys. We start it when we start at the cross, but the cross is not a destination. It is the beginning of the journey. It's like we just got into the game. Hey guys, wake up. When you get to the cross, you just started. The hard stuff is what's after that? And Hebrews is going to call us out and they're going to push us. Christ saved us for more, for a deeper life, a life more abundant than we can imagine. And we haven't even begun to see that. When we hit our life, it's not looking at a time in the past. It's saying we've got more to learn. We can know Jesus more. We can trust him more. We can follow him more. We can love him more. We can serve him more. And he gives us more power the more we know him. And that's what Christian maturity is. 
It's time to grow up. All of us have to look and say, we may have come to the cross. We may have got some things figured out, but it's time to really grow up and know Jesus more. Knowing him is the key. So that is the theme, and I hope you guys can get excited, and I really want you guys to begin to invite friends and say, hey, there's something we need to hear. Even if you're a Christian, there's something more that we have. There's more that we can find out. It's not just knowing the Bible, and Hebrews is going to challenge us those things. So I'm going to transition a little bit now, just to give you, hold on the brakes. That is the theme that I want you guys to have implanted in your heart, and begin to study Hebrews. It is a great book to study. But I also want to start and, and go over just a little bit of background so you understand where Hebrews is going to come. Because one of the other difficulties in Hebrews is going to be understanding what perspective the book of Hebrews is written from. Now the first thing is that we don't know the author of Hebrews. We do not know the author of Hebrews. It's debated. Every commentary I read had a different person they said wrote the book of Hebrews. It's a debated point. So we're just going to say the author of Hebrews when we talk about it. There's no question it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit put it in canon. There's no question about that. We're just going to refer to it as the author of Hebrews. It's also dated to around AD 65 before the temple was destroyed and before the major persecutions by Nero began. All right? So that's the author and the date. The, the audience that this was originally written to the audience this is originally written to is Jew, Messianic Jews. So the idea, these are former Jewish people that have believed in Christ. But the big issue of Hebrews is this, that they are struggling. They want to go back into Judaism. They want to go back into, okay, the old traditions, the old religious traditions. They're man-made Jewish ways of worshiping God. And that's the biggest thing I want you to understand in that point. Religion is man-made ways of reaching out to God, okay? That's what religion is. Christianity is not a religion. It is Christ. It is following Christ. It is, it is knowing Christ. That's why we keep saying knowing Jesus. That is Christianity. It is not about religious ways we ourselves attempt to get to God, okay? It is the person. It is the character of Christ. Now, these Jews were struggling because they wanted to go back to those old religious traditions. They wanted to celebrate the Passover all over again. They wanted to go to the high priest for sacrifice for their sins. They wanted these different aspects that they kept on struggling with. And so they keep fighting. And so Hebrews is written specifically to a very Jewish audience with very Jewish traditions who are struggling in falling back into religious, religious practice. The last thing that makes it a little bit hard for us, probably one of the hardest things of the setting of Hebrews, is the idea that in, in writing the book of Hebrews, the author knows that the original audience is extremely familiar with the Old Testament. Extremely familiar with the Old Testament. These people knew it like the front and back of their hands. We've talked about it before. When you are, grew up Jewish, by age 13, you had the first half of the Old Testament, or no, by age 10, first half of the Old Testament pretty much memorized. By age 13, the whole Old Testament memorized, okay? These, these people knew the Old Testament scriptures like the back of their hand. So when the author of Hebrews is writing, he is going to make references, and he's just going to make passing references because he knows exactly that those people understand what he's talking about. So for us who are not as familiar with the Old Testament, it may seem a little foreign to us why he's dealing with some of these issues. 
And so if you really wanted to get a fuller understanding of Hebrews, I encourage you, go back and study the Old Testament law. Go back and study Leviticus. Go back and study how they went through the sacrificial processes. What were the purpose, the plan? The, the more you know about the Old Testament, the more it's going to be, um, Hebrews is going to make sense. Okay, So that, that kind of sets the stage for who, who Hebrews was written to originally, what the background that they're going up. And again, I want you guys to remember, overall, the theme of Hebrews is it's time to grow up. Our prayer so much is that we would become mature believers in Christ. Not that we just have head knowledge. Not that we just go through the motions of sitting in these pews and coming to church on Sunday. Because that's not, that is not Christianity. Going out in the world, living out Christ, serving the poor, taking care of the needy, loving your brother, loving God, Guys, that's our hope, but that's Christ. He's the only person. He is the power. He is the foundation. He is all of that. And we just pray that you would just really take that seriously and take that to heart, that message of knowing him more. Now, one challenge I want to personally make to you is make sure you bring your Bibles when you come on Sundays. It's a kind of grown-up thing. I want you guys to be able to mark in your Bibles, make notes in your Bibles, remind yourself of what we talk about. The, the word you study at home, the, the Bible that you study, it should be part of who you are as you grow up. Like, I mean, I hate, I've lost several Bibles in my life, and it's this whole process of re-getting to know my Bible, really, because this is where I interact with God so much. So I encourage you guys, bring your Bibles, bring your pen, mark in it, write in it, make it a part of just being a grown-up Christian, that you have the Word of God that is yours, that you bring to church, not just the piece of paper we give out to you. <laughs> okay, so that's my encouragement for this whole series. All right. I know I've gone a little bit longer than I planned to on my introduction, um, but I am so excited about this book, and I can't help but wanting to get into Hebrews 1, and I'm going to make this very focused. I'm going to make it very, very clear, and we're going to look at where one really main idea. I'm going to try to avoid all my, my anecdotes and different things, but I'm going to make a point very clear. The theme of this first chapter and we already sing about it in the first few songs, is Jesus is the greatest. Okay, we sing the song, the highest and the greatest. All right, Jesus is the greatest. And my, my phrase and my hope for you in this is take off your blinders. Okay, and I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but blinders, you ever seen a horse? You know, they put blinders on them to keep them focused so they don't get distracted from things going on on the side of them. Okay, um, that is, that is blinders. And one of the things I've realized in my Christian life, one of the reasons why, in, in the way that I don't know Jesus and I haven't grown up, and one of the struggles, I think, with a lot of Christians is that we get a very focused, narrow view of who Jesus is. We get this very narrow view of what he's capable of, what his power, what his position is, all these different aspects. And sometimes it's because we have things in our life um, and really, it's just the idea of when we say the term greatest, okay? When we say that a lot, I, I, I have echoes when I say the word the greatest. I'm, I'm seeing Will Smith as Muhammad Ali. I am the greatest, you know? But what happens to the greatest in sports? Ali gets beat by Foreman, right? Ali gets beat by Foreman. What about every generation of every athlete? 
There's always a new greatest, right? Michael Jordan was once. LeBron James may be now. Like, it's a very fluid idea. For us, the greatest is not really very high, right? It's changing constantly. And we debate it every year. Is there the greatest catch, the greatest game? It's new every time. So when I say Jesus is the greatest, while we may mentally agree with that statement, for us, that has a pretty low bar, okay? Because, because when we use that term, it's, it's pretty fleeting. But I want you guys to look, and we're going to get into Hebrews 1, and I want you guys to just open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. It's in the back half of your New Testament. The first four vor- verses absolutely blow up who Jesus is. And I want you guys, it's on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you, but I just want you guys to hear the words describing how Jesus is the greatest. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, and here it starts, who he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the greatest. Jesus is the greatest. We have to take our blinders off. We have to take our blinders off and realize that he is higher than everything. Higher than everything. He is the son. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God. Okay, that's the first. He is the highest. He is God. He is heir of all things, everything that has been made. If you understand that idea of heir, that means he inherits all things by his nature as the son. Everything that was God's and was made in all of creation is his. And it continues on. He made the universe. There's several different references in this. John 1, 3 says this. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the creator. He is the maker of all things. He, he, he's not just a part of creation. He is the creator, all right? And then it continues. That thought continues. He is the radiance of God's glory. Anything we know about God, anything we see in God, and radiance has the idea of this. It is the beams of God's glory. It is what comes. It's what we see of the sun. If you were to think about the sun as radiance is the, the, the sunlight that we see. That is the radiance of the sun. It is the beams of sunlight. So Christ is the beams of God's glory. That means what we know about God, what we see in God is Jesus Christ. And then that, that thought continues in the next statement, which says that he's the exact representation of him. The exact representation. And this word here is like a dye, okay, that was cast to mold wax or clay that would create an exact representation, a dye that was created. So Jesus is the exact representation of God. Everything that we see, everything that is God is in Jesus. And so when we talk about Jesus, it is not... We cannot keep blinders on our eyes and say, well, Jesus was a man who came and died for my sins, and that's it. Now, that seems pretty big, but it's so much bigger than that, okay? He is in the beginning, and he is in the end. He is God. He is the representation of God, okay? And it does, this amazing last statement where it says that 
or the last couple statements in that, those first few verses says, he sustains all things through his powerful word. That's the idea that the whole universe is maintained. Every cell, it's how small it is, is sustained by Christ Jesus' power. Okay? This is how he is huge, he is small, he is everything. And we've got to to expand our vision of him. If we're really going to know him, we have to know the fullness of how great that Jesus is. He is the greatest. There is no one else above him. And we've got to pound that into our head to open our eyes as we begin this series. If we're really going to grow up and mature in Jesus, we have to see him for who he is. And that is the greatest. Now, the rest of the chapter, the rest of chapter one is going to cover two topics, and I'm not going to spend much time on these. The first is that Jesus is greater than the prophets. Now, remember, the reason this is said is that these were Jewish believers who the prophets were the main way the Jews had ever learned about God. And so he, he talks in the first verse about Jesus. It says, but now... Um, we, we have received, it says in here, but now God has spoken in these last days. He has spoken to us by his son. He is comparing them to the prophets in the way that he used to speak. speak. And, and Jesus is so much greater than the prophets. He is God's exact representation. He is now, God gave us a way that we can see what living with him means. And that was Christ. It was in the person of Christ. The rest of the chapter, starting in verse 4 through 14, will be about how Jesus is greater than the angels. He is greater than the angels. And in that section, the reason why this, this seems like, why would you even compare the angels to Jesus? Again, this goes back to that original audience. For Jews, the angels were next to God. The angels were next to God. They controlled the stars. They controlled the planets. They were these high beings that were, were perfect in, in, in basically nature. And, and what he does is he begins to say, no, that is not the place of angels. And, and, and all throughout there, you're going to contrast scripture. Now, this is interesting. He uses Old Testament scripture for the most of the rest of the chapter to show them where and how God has said Jesus is higher than the angels. By name, okay, by position of authority, Okay, by, you go through this list, by tenure, how he is everlasting to everlasting. Angels will pass away. Right? He goes through these lists of how God had made Christ greater than the angels. Right? So that is, that is the rest. And I encourage you guys to spend some time reading over chapter 1, looking at those different ways that he is greater than the angels. Now, in all of this, say Jesus is the greatest. Okay? And most people would say, okay, that's a pretty easy thing to do pretty easy thing to agree with. So I want to bring around, and I'm going to bring to conclusion, I have several challenges for you guys. There must be a response in our life if Jesus really is the greatest. Okay, so in my title I said, take off your blinders, Jesus is the greatest, start living like it. And there's several different ways and several different levels I think those responses come. The first, I think, is I, want to, I just want to stop for a moment. I want to tell you, I want to talk to anyone who is maybe kind of understands who Jesus is, maybe hasn't professed their faith before, is kind of exploring, okay? 
Maybe, maybe you've come here because friends have dragged you, girlfriend has dragged you, or um, you're just kind of intrigued by what you hear about Jesus. Let me be the first to tell you that anything about Christians that you see, it's Jesus. Anything that makes them different, it's Jesus living in them. It's not our own good works. We're not nat- naturally good people, okay? But is Jesus transforming us that it has made the difference and is the difference. So if you've never really come to that conclusion, okay, Jesus came to show you the way to live. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts that he prescribes. He said, come follow me. Come follow me. I'll show you the way to live. So I challenge you. There's in, in verse, in, in chapter two, it, it says this. And I, I, this is kind of where the challenge comes from. In chapter 2, verses um, 1 through 3, I'm going to read these real quick. It says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. If you have any questions about who Jesus is, and you've wondered and you've said, man, I see, I see the way people who know him live, and you haven't accepted who he is, I challenge you today, do not ignore the salvation. Do not ignore what you have heard about who Jesus is and who you have seen him lived out. The reality is, like I said at the beginning of the message, is that growing up in the Christian life, the first decision, while it may be the hardest to start out with, may be the most simple. Accepting Jesus as your savior is really as simple. I'm gonna make it as simple as ABC, okay? A means that you accept that you are a sinner, that you have sinned against God and are not justified before him. B is that you believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, the savior, the Messiah, the Lord, Christ. And then C, you confess You confess that he is that Lord and Savior in your life and that you need him in your life to be able to live with Christ. If there's anyone here who has never walked through that step and walked through that stage and needs to talk, there's you can talk to myself after service today, you can talk to any of the pastors after service. We will make it available for for you guys during communion in the second half of worship um, for, for someone to talk to you. Okay, I'll be up here on the front pew. Um, there'll be some other people around. Guys, that is the first step, is seeing that Christ is the greatest. He is the only way we live this life, and if there's any good in it, it is Christ. Now to the rest of you who have already made that step, there's a lot of you who have been saying, just been able to space out. I want you to zone back in real quickly. Okay? We may not understand, we as Christians who have accepted that first step may not understand the same struggle that the Hebrews had, that the angels and the prophets were possibly considered greater. But the thing I am positive of is that we all have areas in our life that we make things greater than Jesus. Okay, be it our hobbies, playing the guitar, running, school, if that's someone's hobby or not, be it our work, 
the time we spend there, the mental energy, the, all these different areas. Be it our favorite television shows. I am the most guilty of someone who wants to hide from people sometimes, and I just want to veg in front of the TV. And I make that television show in my personal relaxation greater than Jesus and his love for people. We all have areas where we say, Jesus, you know what? You're not big enough. It could be our temptations. We may say, you know what, God? I have a certain temptation that you just, Jesus, you're not big enough to overcome. Or we have certain fears about how people will see us if we make statements of faith or if we begin to share our, 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 the gospel or if we begin to live differently, that people are gonna judge us. I don't know what they are for you, but we all have them. It doesn't matter where you're at in your walk in faith. There are areas where you don't submit to Jesus being over top, to being the greatest, to being sold out to him. I challenge you this week, I challenge you this week with this message to not ignore the message that you have heard, to not drift away, to be more careful of what it means to really follow Christ, to make Jesus the greatest. That is what about living the Christian life is about. If you guys will just bow with me, I'll close in prayer. Father, I know that you want to do an amazing work in this church. I know that you want to challenge us to a life that is different, a life that is more of you, a life that is more abundant than we can imagine, a life that may cause us suffering, but that we may come to a knowledge and a trust of you that is beyond what we have ever imagined. Jesus, you are our only hope. You are our strength. You are our, our victory. And you have so much more planned for us in this life. It has not stopped. Your power in our life has not stopped. I just pray that you would just convict us in this place. That you are the greatest. That you are above all else. Above all powers. Above all temptations. Above all fears. Above all struggles. God, that you are above all. I just pray that you would just meet us here today. We just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.